Mr. Headmaster, that uh, I, I... My contract is not to be renewed. Discharged. Discharged? Oh, no, Professor. Please don't call it that. It's retirement. And at half salary for the rest of your life. We're going to go for a joyride. You've just made a wrong turn heading south onto strange highways. Enter Death's waiting room, if you dare. And welcome to Strange Highways. I am Paul. And I'm Kevin. And I hope you guys uh, survived uh, Cavender that was coming and then he left with a yeah. sound effect. Thankfully, he left. <laughs> yeah, yeah, like I I, uh, I licked my thumb and then pressed the palm of my other hand and wished him away. And he, you know, but his pants stayed there. It was weird, but whatever. Anyway, we are now past uh, Cavender's coming and now we're on to Changing of the Guard. We're at the end of season three, I didn't think we were going to make it. It just felt like it just the season wasn't going to end, and here we are. Um, yeah, um, we're here. And, We've uh, at least had some high points at the end of the season. There was definitely a dry spell throughout the middle, um, but I, I feel like we've had a few good ones. Yeah, and, absolutely. Uh, um, but I just this this was uh, the second longest um, season of the series because I think the first season had like two more episodes additional. Yeah. Um, but it's just one of those things that's like, you know, you get to like episode 30, you're like, we're, we're going to be done soon. Right. And you're like, Oh, we have another like two months to go. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but, but we made it. And, um, twilight zone was canceled after three season three. Right. Yeah. I think. Yeah. Well, I, well so <laughs> yeah, right. it was, but it, it, uh, it came back it, as it a, came back a for mid season. season four, yeah. So. Which I didn't um, read so far ahead into the, the logistics of that. So, cause I was kind of waiting when we get to our wrap up for the, the season. So you're right. It was one of those things that it, it was, it was kind of shut down and then we'll get to the weird season four when we get there here in a few weeks as well. But yeah, we're at the end of season three, yeah. everybody that's been with us. Congratulations. Uh, you deserve a pat on the back and some kind of like sewn patch to wear and put it on your blazer at your uh, all boys boarding school, I guess that you, you teach at, um, yeah, so uh, this is uh, Season 3, Episode 37, Changing the Guard. Air date is June 1st, 1962. Number one film, Lonely Are the Brave. Uh, lonely are those that got through Season 3 of The Twilight Zone. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I feel like we're just going to, this is going to meld into like a critique on the season. Here. And I have I have my theories about like what was going on with the character and his sense of like, you know, purpose. I think there might be some, uh, you know, uh, circling writing a little too much about himself into this, but we'll get there. Uh, oh, definitely. <laughs> number one song, Stranger on the Shore. Uh, it's an instrumental piece uh, by Mr. Acker Billick. Bilk. Uh, it's A-C-K-E-R-B-I-L-K. Uh, that feels like someone took a Scrabble, like, tile, and just, like or like a thing and just dropped those it. Those are words, like, right? Yeah, Acker Yeah, those Bilk. are. Yeah. <laughs> 
Um, a very like I, I was listening to it before we started um, start recording. It's a very breezy, tropical sounding thing with like a clarinet. So yeah, it's it's cool, I guess. Nice. Uh, but number one. Sounds- Sounds kind of up my alley. It does. Like the video I saw on YouTube was, uh, enjoy the sounds of Mr. Acker Bilk uh, playing a clarinet while you look at various uh, photos of beach houses. It was like the description of the video. And I'm like, yeah, you know, whenever I'm lounging around on the beach, I always want to just listen to clarinets. Yeah. I'm more of an oboe man myself. (laughs) Oboes on the beach or a nice tuba. I want a nice, like solid, just, you know, deep sounding tuba while I'm on the beach. Um, yeah, <laughs> or some zither music that would also be nice too. That'd be fantastic. <laughs> Sip on a margarita on the beach and listen to some zither music. Some zither music, yeah, uh, or just a nice theremin while <laughs> on the beach, yeah. just relaxing. Yeah, that's I'm pretty sure I've done that. So, I mean, that's it. That seems yeah. that seems up my alley. So, uh, a couple things that happen around this day and date. So, on June 1st, the day of this episode aired, uh, this is tying into something we talked about uh, previously. Adolf Eichmann, uh, war criminal and major organizer of the Holocaust, was hanged in Ramla, Israel, after his conviction, convic- conviction for war crimes. That happened on midnight going into June 1st. So, like, the end of the trial and everything actually happened uh, on the 31st of May, but... So that's a big deal. We talked about that previously with him being uh, captured by uh, Hez- wasn't Hezbollah. That's not right. Um, oh, uh, the, the Israeli army. They 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 sent people in uh, to South America and caught him as part of Operation Finale. Um, yeah, Mossad. Which did, you, Mossad, did you see that right? uh, yeah. that movie yet? I've not seen the the movie. It was the Mossad that did it, not Hezbollah. Like I'm getting things mixed oh. up, but I've not seen Operation Finale yet. I, again, I've mentioned the drunk history thing that Rachel Bloom talks about with Weird Al Yankovic playing Adolf Eichmann, and it's delightful to watch that whole thing. <laughs> to see to see Weird Al Yankovic play like Adolf Eichmann is just it's like what kind of world are we in? Like, <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, that happened. Uh, and then on June fifth, um, so four days after this, the Amazing Spider-Man uh, was introduced by Marvel Comics with the publication of Amazing Fantasy fifteen. With the cover date of August 62, the issue was placed on newsstands on June 5th, uh, 1962, according to the copyright renewal filed in 1990. So um, the world didn't know that the greatest goddamn thing ever was to happen came out four days after this episode. Yeah. Would you look at that? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know I'm a Spider-Man honk, so I'll just I'll just say it. Like I know I know you're not as big on like the superhero comics as much as like I am, but I uh I, I like I and I will champion the newest Spider-Man film that ended the Spider-Verse. It's a delight. And I uh, recently watched Spider-Man Homecoming again, uh, which I don't know if you've seen that, but Michael Keaton is amazing in that film playing the bad guy. Uh, I haven't seen either yet. I, um, I definitely want to watch into the Spider-Verse. Um, yeah. I'll, I'll I'll get to it soon. Oh uh, yeah, I mean we're friends. I will. Yes, this is going to happen. Like I'm going. <laughs> you will like, force me like, to I watch will, it. I will just like knock on your door the one day with like a copy of the Watchtower and Spider-Man into the Spider Verse. Like, heck, have I told you the word? You know. Uh, yeah, yeah. Well, I would. I would much rather. I got a uh, a church pamphlet in my front door today, and if you know me, um, <laughs> I, it's, it's not really fitting for our household. Um, <laughs> I'm but I was, just, like, I was trying smoking. to look around at the neighbors' houses, and it didn't look like anyone else had one. <laughs> so I don't know what that means. Um, but um, I would much rather a copy of uh, Into the Spider Verse in my in my door than the church pamphlet. I, I like the idea that like you looked around and there was no one else that had flyers attached. So there's that one person in your neighborhood that sees like like the outdoor light that you keep, and then the one time you had a skeleton out for Halloween, but for like quite a while, and they're just like, you know, uh, I need to help them. 
I'm going to yeah. put this pamphlet We up put here. that out the last day of August and left it up <laughs> until like November 5th. <laughs> They're like, you know, we're just, I'm, I'm, going, I'm going to do the Lord's work. I'm going to leave this pamphlet and this is what's going to, this is what's going to turn them. That, and I'm going to leave one of those little, what was it, uh, the name of those little tiny booklets that had the comics that were poorly drawn or that were oh, poorly written. Those like things the, were great. Yeah. Yeah. It, it'd be like, uh, like you know warnings and stuff of like uh you're going to hell if you do this little like, comic books like um, jesus one way or no way or whatever like that yeah. kind of stuff yeah <laughs> i used to get those at csu all the time yeah every time like walking around campus between classes it would just like if you went out on a euclid avenue somebody was bound to handy one of those things <laughs> you're like these aren't even funny like why are you doing this but yeah so anyway yeah. <laughs> i mean anything's funny if you uh <laughs> that's true injected it um, oh. so yeah, uh, Spider-Man was, was published and the world has never been the same since for the better. So, uh, and, and Nazi died, uh, which is good. And the Spider-Man came out four days later, which is good as well, but a different type of good. Um, yeah. yeah. So that's all I got for Dan date. Cool. Uh, jump into cast and crew here. Um, oh man, I am on the wrong episode. I'm on the <laughs> 2000. <laughs> I was like, these are, uh, some current actors on this episode. Um, like uh, Adam so, Scott yeah. is now on this episode. <laughs> yeah, no, I I had uh, uh, Taisa Formiga on there. Um, so this episode is directed by Robert Ellis Miller, who this was his only Twilight Zone episode. Uh, was not really familiar with his yeah. work, but he did direct some movies that had uh, ended up getting some Oscar nominations for the actors. Uh, those two movies were The Heart is a Lonely Hunter, where Alan Arkin and Sandra Locke were both nominated. And then Ruben Ruben, where Tom Conti was nominated. Hmm. So, um, I mean, I mean that's pretty good. Yeah. Got a few movies that had some Oscar nominations, so definitely want to bring it up. But I am unfamiliar with them as well as am I. But it's like, knowing that you said that, like it's more of a dramatic tilt, and this kind of this episode feels like it, so it makes sense. Yeah, he's a perfect person to bring in for this um, episode. Was written by Rod Serling. So closing it out strong with a certainly teleplay here. <laughs> um, so the cast, we have Donald Pleasance, who makes his one and only appearance on the Twilight Zone as Professor Ellis Fowler, who uh, we've already covered on the show twice. <laughs> yes. Kind of three times. Um, I'll explain the third one here. So we covered him first, I believe, in Monster Club. And then we covered him again in Telephone with Charles Bronson. Uh, but we also covered a movie called From Beyond the Grave on Talk Without Rhythm um, that had a segment with him in it as well. So uh, definitely go check out that review. That's one of my favorite anthology films. It was a blast mm -hmm. talking about that movie. But yeah, this is Donald Pleasant's first U.S. TV appearance, though. Yeah, I know. Like Sterling was all about him and they made sure they flew him over from from uh, England. And that was you know a big deal because, I mean, I'm sure the cost everything you know but he he was a big like theater uh, actor at this time uh, but so yeah. i liked him yeah so he was a theater actor he has that kind of background um worked in a lot of very serious dramatic roles for a while and then eventually made his uh, he his career kind of changed and he ended up being like a genre character actor who would just uh, i shouldn't even say character actor because he's donald pleasance and everything um but ended up doing a lot more horror and sci-fi work later on in his career. And eventually, you know, most people know him as Dr. Loomis from Halloween. 
Mm-hmm. And then he, uh, he had a good he had a good turn in Prince of Darkness, the John Carpenter film. Uh, that's I people will probably tell me that thing's a masterpiece in a lot of ways, and I I don't see it. It's an interesting film, but not the best. Um, yeah, I I like it. I I think it has a great brooding atmosphere. Absolutely, and, um, the, and the ending I think of the that story is, is just kind of bullshit. Yeah, <laughs> but uh, uh, overall, I I really enjoy Prince of Darkness. I I definitely don't think it's a masterpiece. Yeah, um, I mean the ending of that with like the the VHS like dream like thing of the future is very creepy. Uh, and Alice Cooper impaling himself with a bicycle is also creepy. But Donald Pleasance yeah. is great in that. He just, he just he knows the film he's in and just leans into it. I mean, of course, he worked with Carpenter before. Uh, and then he yeah. was the he was the main villain in uh, the wonderful, amazing film called Puma Man. That it's one of my favorite episodes of Mr. Science Theater 3000 because you can tell Pleasance didn't want to say Puma Man. So he tried adding like a little bit of like, you know, a little bit to it. He called it Puma Man. Like he was trying, trying to class up the joint and it just never worked. But he was he played it so straight faced the entire time. And it's amazing. <laughs> that's that's awesome um another one uh, i i feel like i brought it up on the show um 1972 this movie called raw meat um mm-hmm. which takes place down in like the uh, the underground in london and uh there's a bunch of cannibals that live in the subway system oh I've, and, I, you've not talked about this before oh yeah it's it's uh it's pretty interesting but he plays like the main uh inspector on in the movie <laughs> and he's trying to figure out what's happening to these uh these victims. Oh, I thought like, inspector as in like he was a meat inspector just to make sure the cannibals were eating properly. It's like, listen, <laughs> yeah, he was just, a you got, you got to put the stuff uh, in the refrigerator. It's not going to hold if you just leave all these bodies out. But yeah, it's, it's kind of a cool little movie. Um, it's, it's pretty cheap to get the DVD. You can find it. It's pretty readily available. Um, I think there was a Blu-ray of it that came out, but, um, highly recommend that one. And one thing I never knew about him, he was supposed to play uh, the role Wilford Brimley ended up playing in John Carpenter's The Thing. That makes sense. Like I could, I mean, yeah. I, I he it would have been different for him, but I could see it would have been different for him to play that role. But that would have been interesting. But I, Brimley is so great in that. But I think Pleasance was still would have brought a different like um, a, like bent to that character. But I could see that completely. Yeah, I I don't think I've ever seen anything with uh any donald pleasant's performance that i didn't like well i, also, I will say that like he's been in some terrible movies yeah. uh throughout his career like there, there are definitely some clunkers in there but i will say it, like you were saying about the puma man thing like he gives it his all no matter what terrible movie it is like he tries uh to put it the way you did to class up the joint whenever he's in a movie and i just a lot of time he's definitely a scene chewer. Like he, he will steal the spotlight anytime yeah. he pops up, but I definitely, that's something I gravitate towards. Like I, I love that kind of acting. Um, it, it's so I, it's, it's always exciting to see Donald Pleasance pop up in something and to finally see the twilight zone episode that he was in. Cause I had never seen this before was definitely a treat for me. And just to mention just like his, his depth of thinking about character when he was in escape from New York, uh, he pitched to Carpenter. He's like, I have an explanation as to why an American president would have a British accent. And Carpenter's like, I don't care. Like, <laughs> It's one of those things basically like, like, uh, you know, it doesn't matter. We're just going to just do this movie. You're the president and it's fine. Like, yeah. And he really doesn't have much to do in escape from New York. I mean, like, he kills, he, he basically kills the has to look yeah. scared, yeah. um, and pathetic for most of the movie. 
And, get, and he uh, wears a wig. At one point, they put a wig on him, like that blonde, yeah. like the blonde wig. It's there. He's just like dressed down, like all you know, all the vermin of uh, uh you know, of New York. <laughs> but yeah, he but kill, somehow he, like yeah. somehow he makes that role memorable. Yeah. Like he's just he's such a good actor. Um, yeah, and we'll talk about his performance in this for sure. Oh yeah, I, yeah, it's good. It, without a doubt, is the best part of this episode. Mm. But yeah, uh, unfortunately, this was his only episode in the Twilight Zone. So unless we cover, which is likely uh, another movie that he was in, this might be the last time we talk about Donald Pleasance on the show. Well, we'll make sure to cover something else that he was in because, I mean, we, we got to talk more Pleasance. Yeah. Do you hear how sad I am? Like, <laughs> we have, I had one single tear coming down from my eye, much like uh, he did in this episode. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Um, yeah, anyway, so yeah. Donald Pleasance, Professor Ellis Fowler. Uh, then we have Liam Sullivan, who plays the headmaster. Uh, he was Tennyson in the episode The Silence from, I, I believe, I, last season. Yeah, I did not realize that until I went through and did some research. I'm like, oh, that's the guy that didn't talk much for a reason. Yeah, yeah. he kind of looked like a skinnier Rob Riggle in this episode. <laughs> <laughs> and he was just going to start busting off about the Catalina wine mixer, you know? Yeah. Uh, and and yeah. being in international waters. But yeah, I, I, it took me like, once I read that, I'm like, oh, that makes sense. And I just, it didn't put two and two together. So good on him that even though he had like, like one scene, I didn't realize that was the same, the same actor. Yep. Uh, and then we have Philippa Bevins who plays Mrs. Landers, the housekeeper. This is her only Twilight Zone appearance. And I wasn't really familiar with anything else she was involved in. Um, we have Tom Lowell who plays Artie Beechcroft who this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. And the only other thing I had for him was Escape from the Planet of the Apes. Yeah. And so he did a fair amount of TV stuff. And you also mentioned that this was his first role. So that's kind of cool. That's like, you know, your first thing you do is the Twilight Zone. So yeah, no matter what. Yeah, that's a good get. Yep. We have Russell Horton, who plays Bartlett, who was in one other future episode of the Twilight Zone called In Praise of Pip. And he was in the anthology movie The Cat's Eye. Yes, that the Stephen King anthology that might be something we might want to talk about in the future, like because the yeah the, yeah that would yeah be I'm, a, I'm a fan of it. I, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, that era, James Woods. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so uh, I I don't want to say I'm still a big fan because he's kind of a train wreck. Yeah. Uh, if you ever go to his Twitter, uh, he's spouting off some terrible stuff. Well, he he now uh, says that he has left Twitter because until Twitter endorses free speech, he's out or something. Like I'm like you know uh, if what you're saying people are saying maybe you shouldn't say that. <laughs> I don't know. I think that's execution of free speech, you know, <laughs> but whatever. Yeah. That's neither here nor there. Um, yeah, so, I, yeah. I didn't know he left Twitter, but yeah, uh, I had followed him in the early days of uh, Twitter and I didn't really see his stuff. And uh, like a few years ago, some of his tweets were popping up as I'd like scroll through in the morning because I pretty much only go on Twitter just to like scroll through my feed. I never post. <laughs> uh, but yeah, I was like, oh, I might have to unfollow this guy. I was hoping <laughs> Sorry, that James Woods. you would just tweet at him questions about John Carpenter's vampires or every sloppy <laughs> just the movie cop. Yeah, I just, <laughs> just only about the movie cop and bestseller. Yeah. Like, <laughs> or you just tweet him every so often, just the words, a piece of candy, like every so often to see what he would do with that. Um, but so um, if you haven't seen cop or bestseller, I have not um, those. Yeah. Outside of vampires, because he's just out of control in that movie, uh, might be my two favorite James Woods performances. Um, so 
Russell Horton, not James Woods. Uh, so yeah, sorry. Last, no, 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 no. Getting way off. All I, like, you wrote cat. You you mentioned cats. So I wrote that down as well. Uh, the only other thing I want to mention: his last role was a, as a voice actor in the video game Red Dead Redemption, and he, he's accredited as the local population. So I'm sure it's just <laughs> as you're just walking along and you bump into people and you hear, "Hey, get away from me!" or you you know you tussling for a fight or whatever they say in that game. They they had him just act like the like the local <laughs> populace, you know, like. Uh, you know. I'm I'm gonna take those audio clips of you <laughs> and edit them into <laughs> scenes from Red Dead Redemption now. <laughs> Watch out for the varmints or whatever he says. I don't know, <laughs> but yeah, he was part of the local population and Red Dead Redemption. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. that's very fun. Probably heard the suit's voice uh, more times than I can count. Yeah, right. So uh, that's all. Um, I have for him. And then. Second most important in this episode, we have Buddy Joe Hooker, who plays Dickie Weiss, um, who his acting career is pretty sparse. Uh, the only things I really wrote down for him was Hard to Kill with Steven Seagal, White Lightning with Burt Reynolds, which we've discussed on the show, uh, Any Which Way You Can, and uh, Gleaming the Cube, one of my favorites. <laughs> yes. He plays Corvette Driver. <laughs> I hope that's his actual name and not like the role where it's like, hey, watch out for Corvette Driver. And he's like, yeah. And he does a wicked trick on a <laughs> Yeah, but uh, he is a stuntman. Yes. Who, uh, as, he, as he aged, he became a stunt coordinator, as you do, uh, as you hope to do in that world. Um, but he's still doing stunt driving, too. Uh, most recently in Fate of the Furious. Nice. Yeah, so he he's done a lot of driving stunts. He's doing a lot of uh, stunt coordinating all the way back into like the 70s. Um, uh, unfortunately, he was it looks like he was stunt coordinator on The Crow. So, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, you know, like you, I'm sure the coordination part of it was OK, but I don't blame him. I blame the, the props master for that. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. um. Yeah, that, so that had him in a crazy story. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, um, but yeah, I mean, if you go on his IMDb, he's he's done stunts in so much stuff. But I was just shocked to see that he was listed as a stunt driver for Fate of the Furious. That's cool. Um, so yeah, you know, like this this dude has to be in his seventies now. He's still doing stunt driving. Like uh, that's that's insane. So there there's something I found. It was either on IMDb or Wikipedia for him. And, and here's the statement. And you tell me what this means. <laughs> uh-uh. <laughs> There are urban legends about Hart's disappearance from the public eye, including that he became Harrison Ford. However, there is no evidence for this. What? Who who disappeared? (laughs) Buddy Joe Hooker. Supposedly, there's urban legends that he left the public eye and then became Harrison Ford. Okay, I thought you said Hart. I was like, who? Who? Sorry, sorry. Uh-huh. Um, no, no, no. He, he, um, he's Buddy Joe Hooker, but he went. He was. He played his his acting name, and this was Buddy Hart initially. Oh, okay. So he, right. yeah. So you're right. No, he was. He went from a Hart to a Hooker to a Dicky is what happened here. But then, yeah. So there was rumors about Hart's disappearance from the public eye, and then he became Harrison Ford. Like, <laughs> I don't, I don't understand that. <laughs> I mean, he kind of looks like Harrison Ford. I feel like that's got to be an inside joke or something. Um, I hope he must. He, yeah. I don't know. I hope that he and uh, he and Harrison Ford are like best friends and that they decide they're just going to screw with the Internet and just like have times where one of them's out like being he's just being Harrison Ford stunt driver. I mean, they don't look that similar, <laughs> but I could. 
That's weird. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know why that was there, but I, yeah. Um, which I want to tease this uh, for our, our Patreon uh, uh, people. We're covering um, the Twilight Zone episode of the new series called Not All Men. There is another random IMDb bit of trivia about one of the people involved in that that you're going to be like, why is that on there? So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know about the internet. So, yes. So, uh, Buddy Joe Hooker may or may not be Harrison Ford. Probably not. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah. But yeah, you know, I, I have kind of affinity towards stuntmen, and uh, I really appreciate what those guys do. So I was excited to see uh, little Dickie Weiss in this episode. Uh, grew up to be Buddy Joe Hooker. <laughs> he ends up telling he ends up telling Professor Loomis, like, "Listen, all, all you, you inspired me to be a stunt driver, and one day I will die on the set of a fate of a Fast and Furious film." Is what probably he Hobbs and Shaw. <laughs> <laughs> What a movie to go out! But in, you gave right? me a poem to remember as I was going out in a fiery crash. This way, <laughs> sorry, I'm I'm really stepping on the episode. But yeah, let's just get yeah. through the rest of this because right. uh, yeah, I got I got here. one more. I yeah. got Robert uh, Beheller who plays Graham, who uh, was in Fire in the Sky, which is an awesome alien movie, um, and this was his only Twilight Zone appearance. So that, yeah, that's what I have for him. And then uh, everybody else is listed. I couldn't find anything of worth, unfortunately, for the rest of the people that are listed here. So we're so brutal to people that were like, <laughs> like, oh, you got like 70 credits, but uh, hey, hey, I've we, never heard of them. So we, they must not be good. We've established <laughs> that I'm I'm kind of a big deal in IMDb. So if I see what if I don't recognize what people have been in, then it doesn't matter. So like I. Yep. Yeah, no, but I wrote here, it's like only Twilight Zone appearance, only Twilight Zone appearance, not much of anything, yeah. not much of anything. I mean, yeah. th- there's a lot of students in this episode that yeah. I, I couldn't put a, I couldn't put a face to the name if you, if you had a gun to my head. Um, I don't know why that would happen, but, um, <laughs> name all the students and change the guard, Kevin. <laughs> like I just take a six chill, um, like a six cylinder gun and just spin the, the, the barrel, like the, the chamber. I'm like, you have, you maybe have a one to six chance. Tell me the names of the kids in this, this episode. Graham, Dickie Weiss. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, uh, like, I think Robert McCord was a kid in the background. Wrong. Um, and the, the last person I want to bring up, uh, William Tuttle does makeup effects in this episode as well. That's worthy of note. Yeah, absolutely. So, yes. All right. Sure. Um, that's our cast and crew. Uh, let's just get on to Serling. Professor Ellis Fowler, a gentle bookish guide to the young, who is about to discover that life still has certain surprises. And that the campus of the Rock Springs School for Boys lies in a direct path to another institution commonly referred to as the Twilight Zone. I feel like Rob was like hiding a burp halfway through that. Like he was like talking. He's like, Oh God, I got to talking about the school here. It was a weird yeah. change. So yeah. I think he was just choking up a little bit. Yeah. This is, this is a very emotional episode and knowing that uh, night of the meek was the only Christmas episode. I'd argue that this is like a half of a Christmas episode. Uh, yeah. 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 This is, uh, I might rewatch this one around Christmas. If I want to be depressed, uh, well, no, I don't. So, like, I okay. So, I I don't know how long we want to get into the story because there's not much here. Um, yeah, there's there's a lot of monologuing and a yeah. lot of uh, poetry read by uh, <laughs> uh, by Donald Pleasance, which is awesome. Yeah. And I could watch Donald Pleasance uh, read poetry all day long. <laughs> I wrote in my I, notes here. I wrote, I would listen to Donald Pleasance read the telephone book. That's what I wrote in my notes. <laughs> oh God damn it. <laughs> No, he has a presence, but I would definitely have him like read aloud the telephone he has, book. That'd he has a, a Donald presence. 
you almost made me spit out my drink though <laughs> yes yes only the best here on strange highways um i thought yeah, i thought the, i had the, I, had, no. I thought i had the worst joke and you 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 won it so my, my i tip my hat to you yes oh i'm i'm ashamed Donald I'm presents. ashamed to die. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> yes, but you've brought one good thing to humanity with your Donald Presence joke, so you should not be, you know, you should not be upset about if you could leave if you leave the Earth right now. You've brought two things to this Earth um, that you know, among other things, Donald Presence and Rod Birdling. So those You're like right. you, you You're have... right. I have I have a gun in my desk. Uh, I can leave <laughs> without shame now. <laughs> All right, so yeah. let's get into this episode before we step onto the the entire thing here. Um, so we open it. There's Rock Spring School for Boys, um, and you have Donald Pleasant teaching a class full of kids. You get the idea that none of them necessarily enjoy his class or want to be there, but they're good students nonetheless. Well, it's also the and, last uh, class for Christmas break, and they're just kind of they're already out the door mentally, and he's trying to inspire them. You know? Yeah, yeah, he's he's doing the best he can. He's reading a he's reading a poem. I did I didn't catch the names of the poems. Yep, um, I didn't bother. I, I sound, that sounds terrible, but it's like they they sound important enough and inspirational enough that Sterling included them, and, and uh, Donald Presence read them very very well. <laughs> um, but I just you know, I feel bad. I just didn't care, and I didn't I didn't write any of them down. Yeah, so it, he's going around the class asking uh, some of the students questions about the uh, uh, um, about the poet that he's reading from and everybody's giving him wrong answers and everything so he finally decides he's going to let them out early he's he's going to do one nice thing for them uh, before he insults them <laughs> yeah uh, by calling them dunderheads but a but a group of nice dunderheads but, but nice which dunderheads. is a good moment because uh, up until that point, you get the idea that like he, he's just this hard ass professor who, you know, like none of the students like him or anything. But there's this shift in his personality where you can see that, like, he actually cares about these kids and it, the kids do respect him to a certain extent. Yeah, no, like he as much as he was being, you know, kind of like insulting, you get, he's that has that small smile of like you, you might be the worst class I've ever taught, but you're nice guys. And I do care about all of you. So you see, even, even as frustrated as he may be as an educator, he cares about everybody and he still sees the good in them. So yeah, yeah. You, you do get that. But you see it like, as he's reading the poem to the class, there's a, there's a nice shot where they're panning across the kids. Some of the kids are like, fiddling with objects on the desk. Some are basically packing up their bags to leave for the day. Um, some people are kind of interested. There's a kid in the back that looks way too interested. <laughs> I don't know if you caught that guy. I didn't catch uh, that. No. Yeah. If you, if you go back, I might try and pull that image out of there. Cause he creeped me out. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, you get the idea that they're, they're out the door. Like you said, so he lets them out. And as he's leaving the school for the day, he gets called into the headmaster's office. Yeah, and at that point, like the headmaster's like, "Oh, I hope I'm not, you know, keeping you." And and, and Fowler's like, "Oh, no, no, no. There's just a radio broadcast of what's the Handel's Messiah. I want to get to, but what's going on?" And the headmaster is like, "Listen, you know, you know, are you okay with the situation? Basically, being like, you know, the letter that was sent to you by the board." And Fowler just misreads the entire situation and was like, no, no, it's just a matter of you know, like, why is this so formal with the contract extension? And, and the headmaster's like, eh, that's not what we meant. 
and informs him that they've actually said that they're not going to renew his contract and that he's been let go effective at the end of the semester. So he has actually taught his last class and uh, Fowler just keeps like kind of like talking over him before he realizes what's going on. Um, And it's kind of awkward and it's kind of sad. And then, then you get the lesson of the entire episode, which is you should read your mail. Yeah. Yeah. Man should read his mail. Yeah. But I like during his, his seemingly incoherent rambling during the scene, he talks about how he's taught these some of these kids' fathers, and he he plans on continuing to work to possibly teach like the grandkids of the fathers he taught, um, and how one of the kids he's teaching affectionately refers to him as Weird Beard, which comes back later in the <laughs> yeah. episode. But I thought that was fun. So yeah, I don't yeah. I don't view it as rambling. It's just he's this guy that like he's preoccupied with himself, not himself, but like his craft. And he's not yeah. he's not listening to what the headmaster is telling him, or he's not inferring what the headmaster means. Because at first the headmaster is like, "Oh, you're okay with this?" He's like, "Yeah, yeah, I plan on staying here." And he's like, "Oh, that's the opposite of what's about to happen." So, yeah. you know, so then he tries to save face by being like, "You know, a man should read his mail." And, he, and so then, um, you know, as he walks out of uh, the headmaster's office, and he was like, "I bet you can't talk for a year." And that's what he told the guy, and he left. Uh, he runs into two students and he was like, I hope you have a really good break. And he's like kind of a little emotional. And as he, like, he leaves the frame, one of the kids is like, what's going on with weird beard? Why is he crying? Uh, it was yeah. <laughs> yeah, some, yeah. some great, uh, child acting there, but yeah. it's fine. It, it, again, Donald Pleasance, like I was feeling emotional just watching Donald Pleasance walk out of that office crying. Mm hmm. Like he is so good. Yeah. Like that, that that's going to be the thing I'm going to continue to say during this episode, because, um, say what you will, uh, about the pacing of this episode, about the twist of this episode, about where it ends up going, uh, about how predictable it is. Um, there is so much heart brought on from his performance. I just, I couldn't get over it. Yeah. Um, no, I, I completely agree with that. He, he does sell it. Uh, the only other person I think would have been better is, um, Oh, what's his name that we just talked about in the trade-ins. Uh, I feel like he would have also brought like this, like this weight to it, but yeah, you, you really get like, this is his life just being taken away from him or, or his sense of identity, I should say. Um, yeah. and then he is at his, his house and as his, like his, um, you know, what was it? His maid is telling him he should eat and whatever, uh, like at one point he, he opens the drawer to his desk and you see he has a gun and you get the idea in his head. It's like, well, th- this is what's going to happen right now. Like this is his, his thought process is that his life's over. He can't teach anymore. Maybe I should use this gun. And there's a point where he takes the gun out of the holster and like, and actually like points it towards his face and kind of just like looks at it. And it's like, Oh, what's he planning on doing right this moment? Yeah, it was, it was definitely a dark moment. Um, but the housekeeper comes in and basically asks if uh, he wants to eat and he's he's not in the mood to eat or anything. So he leaves the room, goes in the other room. And uh, yeah, that, that Handel's Messiah, excuse me, radio broadcast in the other room is uh, uh, quite morose with him <laughs> sitting there knowing what he's planning as he's sitting there listening to it. Well, then he um, goes through a, a scrapbook of his students. He's like re- reminiscing about all the things that happen. And there's the bit where he says they come and go like ghosts. I gave them nothing. I gave them nothing at all. I left no imprint. It's yeah, like, he considers yeah. himself a failure. Yeah. And um, yeah. So as he's saying that to the housekeeper, she goes in uh, 
she's kind of tidying up his desk and everything and finds the key to the top drawer goes in and finds the empty holster. So she rushes through the other room to hopefully stop what she realizes that he's thinking about. And she sees that the front door is open. He's left the house. Yeah. Which is actually a pretty effective shot. Like he's gone. Yeah. And especially with like the snow and the wind blowing outside and everything, it is just like a lonely, desolate setting outside of the house. Um, It's a, Great setting and having this take place in winter just with that desperation and the sadness with his character. Yeah, um, it, it makes sense to have this set around the holiday season. Well, that uh, that's also just a greater implication, right? So you get like it's an unfortunate truth that most people can contemplate suicide around the holidays. So it's like this yeah. is. Yeah. It is it is like the like the the worst moment for him to find out that he doesn't have a job anymore. <laughs> you know, so yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. So he ends up like wandering to a statue of Horace Mann, uh, who has the quote that you, you made the, the thing about, like, you know, you should be ashamed, ashamed of yourself until you've done something for humanity. I think that's not the, the right quote. Yeah, uh, I actually wrote down the quote. Be okay. ashamed to die until you have won some victory for humanity. <laughs> or just be ashamed of yourself till you've done good. Like that's. I, that's yeah, <laughs> yeah. So I, I wasn't you. really familiar yeah. with Horace Mann. I don't know if you did any research into him. Um, he's basically the father of public schooling. Oh, the, the, the thing I found out is that he, um, that he was tied to Antioch college where Sterling went to. And so yeah, that was, a yeah, that, I there. think that's how he found it. But he was like one of the first people to really, um, try and push for tax funded public schooling. Okay. So, so yeah, he's, yeah. he's kind of, he's kind of listed as like the father of public schooling. I, I, I just also will say that, um, in my dealings and in, in, in jobs that I've had, uh, in insurance, someone once listed Horace Mann as Horseman and a set of notes that was being reviewed. And that would have been a way cooler statue. And I, I will never forget Horseman. <laughs> uh, so it's unfortunate that that's what I bring into this episode where I see a statue of Horseman. I'm like, oh, that's Horseman right there. He doesn't look like a centaur. Maybe the snow's hiding most of it. Um, but yeah, it's, yeah, it seems like Horace. I almost said Horace Man again. Um, it seems like Horace Man uh, was a personal, kind of a personal hero for Serling, and uh, I guess he used some of his quotes within his teaching mm-hmm. uh, during his time teaching between season three and season four. So it was something that he was kind of preoccupied with at the time um, of writing this episode. Um, and I think he ended up doing a teleplay for some show. I think it was an unproduced teleplay for something that had to do with uh, Horace Mann trying to save uh, Antioch, Antioch College. Well, I heard that like he like you could approach him, and if you had oats in your hand, he wouldn't nip at your you know fingers. <laughs> <laughs> he also liked carrots and apples a great oh, deal. Oh, oh <laughs> man, we're really shooting for the bottom of the barrel tonight, guys. Oh. Hey. <laughs> Season three has been just like hitting new ground and going deeper. So, no, I just for a moment, whenever you had, um, you know, you had, uh, I was going to say Loomis, that's not his name, uh, Fowler at the statue, like contemplating everything. I, I don't know about you, but I was just like really, really hoping that the statue would be the thing that comes to life and starts talking to him. I, I had the split second thought. <laughs> I was like, uh oh. Yeah. <laughs> Are they going to go there? Yeah. Um, but yeah, so he's talking to the statue saying, like, basically, I've had no victory and I am ashamed to die, pulls the gun out and puts it to his head, which is one of the darkest, uh, some of the darkest imagery I think mm-hmm. we've seen. The the most realistic dark imagery. Yes. 
yeah. uh, throughout the series. Like it's it's really upsetting to see this uh, uh, this old man put the gun to his head. Uh, but as he has the gun up, he hears the class bells ringing at the school. So he he stumbles back into the school, back into his classroom that we saw earlier. And as he's sitting down at his desk, students appear in the seats. And not just appear, they, they just kind of fade in, but they're all looking down. And then they all look up at the same time. And it was like super creepy. And it's not, it's probably not the intent, but it is creepy. Like, uh, well, it's yeah. playing with your expectations. Yeah. Cause you're not quite sure what's going to happen at this point. And being the twilight zone, like you got to give a little bit of, uh, supernatural and a uh, little bit of horror tilt to it a little bit, but yeah, it, it is, it is a great moment. Um, it, it is, it is pretty creepy. But yeah, all the students appear, and first up we have Artie Beechcroft who uh, comes up, and he's he was from class of 1941, and he was one of the students earlier when uh, uh, Fowler was going through his yearbooks and reminiscing about some of his past students. He was the one that died in Iwo Jima. Mm-hmm. Did you notice that, so, that his voice is like deeper and more manly than I could ever hope to have? And I'm like, this is a kid that you just hear his voice. I'm like, wow, he sounds like he was raised on cigarettes and bourbon. Like his voice is very <laughs> of that time. Like, you know, like, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if it was Iwo Jima, um, Iwo Jima that killed him. It might have been just been the liquor. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> uh, but he did uh, get a Congressional Medal of Honor yeah. um, for it and everything. And then next up, Bartlett stands up from class of 28, uh, who also is deceased uh he died researching a cancer treatment and uh was subjected to some of the radioactivity material radioactive materials and ended up passing away so uh dickie weiss pops up after that and um he was the first of his students to pass away and he actually died at pearl harbor while trying to save some other people's lives and everything so they all tell him like it was your teachings that stuck with me that taught me these values that caused these things that we did that were heroic or noble. Um, it was those things that you taught us that helped us in those moments like, when it mattered. Yeah, like the, the, the Pearl Harbor one was like, he was like, you were by my side that day. And, and they, all of them like quoted like different poems that he read to them. And that was inspired them to be heroic and to be the best they could. Yeah. And, and again, like, Donald Pleasant's face during yes. this is just amazing because he's he's confused but touched and happy. Like there's so much emotion running through his face. It's again like I I can't get over how good Donald Pleasance is. No, he's good. And it was didn't the one kid say I was the first one to die? I'm like that's not you don't say that with yeah that was Dicky yeah. Weiss yeah. 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 Uh, <laughs> Yeah, it was our weird. boy. Uh, our boy, buddy Joe Hooker, was the first to die. So, did <laughs> you notice the 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 portrait of uh, Lincoln in the background that was in the classroom? Yeah, yeah, there was Lincoln, and I think I saw. Uh, um, there's an uh, there's somebody else up on the wall. So, um, before we get to the end of this, I I, I feel like I shouldn't just mention because we talked about the episode back there where you know the professor from Gilligan's Island could not save uh, the sass- could, couldn't stop uh, John Wilkes Booth from uh, shooting Lincoln. Uh, that was an idea that was pitched originally to Sterling Ware in which um, there was a situation in which Lincoln survived and he got to an old age and, and like a guardian angel came to him and said, hey, you know, you you could have your life now or you could die then and you could see the impact on your like what your death would do versus your long life lived. And so he had to consider, like, was it worth it? 
and we talked about that i'm sure back there back there when we talked about back there i yeah. feel like not that the lincoln like image here is like purposeful but it this feels like with this notion of you know you lived your life do you, did you have impact i feel like this has been in the back of his head and th- th- it's not the same story not at all yeah. but I mean, he is living to see his impact or at least like realize his impact upon these students and his work in life. Something tells me that this is one of those things that was cooking in the back of his mind when he kind of came up with that idea and some other ones too. Right. So, um, yeah. And And it's a good idea. It's not a bad, no, no, it's not a bad idea at all. You know, like it's a, it's a moving idea and, uh, it lives and dies by the main performance for well, sure. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a wonderful life scenario, right? Like, do you yeah, feel like, yeah, you know, definitely. do you feel like your life has had worth and do you have that impact where you've actually made a difference? So yeah, like, but when I was watching this, I kept thinking of what the concept was originally pitched for back there involving Lincoln. And I saw his image and I'm like, was, I don't know. I don't know if there's a connection there, but it feels pretty obvious to me. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if he would have been that involved with the production. Maybe Buck Houghton was like, uh, "We're gonna throw this up here as a nod yeah. to this idea," because he was probably there during the conception of all the stuff. So, um, but yeah, so um, one by one, all the other students stand up and say what they learned from him. Uh, the rest of the classroom, and eventually they tell him they have to go back, and uh, they're forever grateful. And the bells ring. And there's there's a great, probably my favorite camera movement of the episode. It swings past the students and back to him sitting just an emotional mess in the front of the classroom. Yeah. And then it pans back out and you see the students look down and disappear much like they appeared in the desk before. Um, so, and they leave him sitting at the table with uh, tears in his eyes and he slowly smiles. So at the end of the episode, he's back home with his housekeeper and there's some carolers outside and he's listening to and it's some of his current students and they're all telling him Merry Christmas, uh, Professor Fowler. And uh, he tells the housekeeper he's happy. He realizes that he's lived a full, rich life and that he's had meaning and that he's OK with the idea of retiring now. He's really, really happy to eat. At the end of the yes. episode. He's, yeah. He's suddenly <laughs> like, you know what? This food's amazing. Yeah. So. No, so that's the yeah, twist. Uh, he enjoys to eat again. He, he enjoys eating. Yes. Um, yeah. And that's your episode. It's like, it's nothing, nothing groundbreaking, but it's a, it's a nice affirming, like, you know, feel good story of like knowing that you devoted your life to this one thing and that there is purpose to it. Um, I mean, I liked it. Um, I do like, it's, it's a good way to round out the season because you're right. We did have a dry spell and we'll talk more about that next week. I'm sure. Uh, yeah. and I might've been, I might have been more susceptible to this episode earlier in the season. I'm not saying I didn't like it because I did. It just felt very, very slight. And but you're right, Pleasance's performance in this is great. But it's like, oh, the guy who his job is told they tell him he can't do it anymore, and how he actually has he he comes face to face with like he actually did good, and that's in the episode. It's not bad. It's just it it, it just feels slight. And that's it. Not yeah. That, yeah. I, I, I think it's a nice way to end out the season, though. I think it's a nice positive note to go. Just uh, giving you kind of like that hope and humanity that Serling, uh, as much as he likes to uh, punish <laughs> some of his characters yeah. and everything, like there's always that glimmer of hope and humanity. And uh, I, I think this is a nice positive way to end the season. And much like you kind of teased at the beginning of it, 
it's an interesting way to end season three because there was a lot of uncertainty <laughs> with some of the uh, sponsors pulling out and the show possibly being canceled. Um, it, it definitely seemed like there was uh, there was some of Serling's worry about if the show would even matter or yeah. if his writing would even matter or if anyone would even remember any of this like going forward. I just want to and see... the fact that he went on to teach after this. Yeah. And I have, uh, I have a blurb just, about that. Yeah. Yeah. It just um, seems it seems like these were things like although the idea was maybe cooking since all the way back in back there. Um, it seems like it's it's the perfect time to drop this episode as just kind of like uh, I hope the show has had meeting yeah, <laughs> with the viewers. I, I would love I would love to see like this meta thing of him like in this classroom and then like all the episodes that you know they just show up again. Then it's like five characters in search of an exit. It's like no, like you you did do this. I know this wasn't your story, but you 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 changed people's perception about what a story can be. And then the serve man's like, yeah, I know I'm kind of shitty, but people remember my twist. You know, like I would love. Yeah, like, I know both of those weren't his original stories, but then like I would like to see like the shelter be like, hey, you know what? everybody is kind of dark and an asshole, but we all know that, you know, ultimately we're in this together. Like it would be, it would never happen. And I know it won't happen, but it'd be funny if like the episodes were like, you know, you did make an impact. You there's, there's a reason why you did what you did. Well, I, I caught a uh, documentary that was basically an open letter from a filmmaker to Orson Welles kind of telling, explaining what the world has become to Orson Welles. And it was, it was pretty terrible, and uh, <laughs> um, but you should definitely make one an open letter to Rod Serling now, where you go through and tell him how correct he was about <laughs> how society still is, yeah. or how things haven't changed since the time that this show aired. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I feel yeah. like with the I don't current- know. It, I feel like it'd be really depressing. Be like, hey, remember when you dealt with this subject? Yeah, it, it we're changed, still dealing with it's it. It's gotten worse in some some fashions, right? So, yeah. and I, I, how I do you, how do you feel about that, Sterling? <laughs> I bet you'd be upset about it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you you once said people are alike all over, and you you didn't yeah. know how right you were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I can't remember what the documentary was, but it was no. basically just this filmmaker that kind of sounded uh, like he was trying to do a Werner Herzog <laughs> impression. There, there is the, the clearly there's some emergency going on in the background, and I don't know what's going on with life. But yeah. The problems I have of living on a street in which uh, emergency vehicles travel often because it's an easy way to get around Cleveland. Um, yep. And they're all like, hey, there's a bunch of dead kids in the classroom telling a professor like what impact he had. We need to go. We need to go help him. Um, but yeah, yeah, that would be fun to see like a meta version with Rod Serling though. <laughs> yeah. Just, just to be like, you inspired so much and you, you got all like JJ Abrams is like, you know what? I owe my career to you. You know, that would be like, <laughs> that would be a thing. Yeah. And then they'd be like, but you, but people are still terrible. It's like, yeah, we can still make shows that are pertinent, you know, societally. Um, and Jordan Peele would be like, you know what? There's a whole new series in which we are hitting the nail on the head repeatedly about social issues. Like, you know, and for good and for yeah. bad, you know, I don't yeah. know. Like this was, this was a fine episode. I will put it in the middle of the road though, that like it didn't, it didn't de- deviate from anything at all. Like it was just a, like when I say this is a Christmas episode, yeah, it took place during Christmas, but it was, it's very much in like night of the meek where he's like, did I make a difference? Can I affect people? And yes. And it's good. And it's a good ending. It's a nice, it's a nice, happy ending. Yeah. It, it yeah. feels good. 
although it's super dark for the first half of the episode. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Whenever you're going to pull a gun and shoot yourself in front of Horseman, that's probably not the best. <laughs> right. So. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think I'm I'm going to I'm going to put this a little bit above uh, middle of the road just because I was just in love with Donald Pleasant's performance in this. And I was I, I was getting a little emotional watching him get choked up in this. Like he's really good. And um, I was a little worried about the makeup at first. Yeah. Um, but uh, much like any time William Tuttle pops up, it's it's always convincing. And uh, it really becomes a non-factor by the time you get into the story. Yeah. So, all right. Do you have anything else about the episode proper? I'm going to read the small blurb about uh, Sterling's uh, teaching at uh, Antioch um, between no. seasons. Okay. So, I think we've pretty much exhausted this one. Yeah. Shortly after principal filming was completed on this episode, Sterling accepted a teaching position at the college and moved to Ohio to try and teach aspiring writers uh, quality literature and screenplays. Shortly after completing his term, Sterling told a reporter, Recently, I completed a term teaching playwriting classes at my alma mater, Antioch College. I wasn't a good teacher. I went back there to find out what was the truth. And I found out that the truth is was at home and I should have stayed there. <laughs> so like he basically was like, yeah, I'm not a good teacher. I, I can't do this. So he tried. Yeah. Um, you know, but I would argue that he has actually did some good for the world. Right. Because the, the whole goal is to put a mirror up. Right. And this, this is the definitive episode and this is not, maybe not like the, the greatest one, but it's like, it's holding a mirror up of like, what did I do and, and what impact did I have? And if this is like a treatise on Serling and his, in his existence in the twilight zone, this is a little on the nose, but it fits. So I, yeah. I, I appreciate it for it, that. Yeah. And again, being at the end of season three, where there's a lot of uh question of the future of the series, like it's a good, it's a good bookmark. Like it's a, if they never came back from this episode, I think everyone would have been perfectly fine with this being the end. Yeah, I would agree. Like with that. it's a nice somber but happy note. Um, it's it's reflective on the whole series. Um, it 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 would have been a nice place to end, but um, fortunately for us and for our listeners, we do come back for hour long episodes. <laughs> yeah, I mean, not that we're not used to that already with the, the curtain revival going on, but yeah, yeah. it's going to happen. Uh, so yeah. Um, yeah, that's going to do it for this episode. We should just go ahead and just, uh, rate the twist so we can just, just do it. You know, I begin to realize the folly of my ways by pitching this to you like two seasons ago, like we should rate the twist. It's going to be this thing. Um, yeah, now that this is our cross to bear, uh, I'm going to give this twist a one that he would be reminded that he made an impact. It's not the best twist, but that's not the point of this episode. Yeah, absolutely. I'm going to give this a one as well. Um, but I enjoyed the journey to get there. So uh, twist aside, I, w- I was, I was okay with where this ended up and that's where I wanted it to end up. And I was in it for, for the performance and for the emotion in the episode. Um, I wasn't really there for the twist in this one. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right, yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for the changing of the guard. It's going to wrap it up for season three. Yeah, um, we did it. Yeah, we did it. We got through it. We got through all, um, all of that. We got through some four o'clock. We got through some, uh, uh, some Cavender Cavender's coming. coming. We got through some, uh, the hunt. We got through some, uh, showdown with Rance McGrew, which I like hindsight, that one. With, in hindsight, in that's top five. That's Oscar caliber versus <laughs> some of the stuff we had here. Or, sorry. Emmy caliber. 
Um, yeah, so uh, next week we will be doing our season three wrap up. But in the meantime, uh, Kevin, how can people find us? Well, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube at Strange Highways Podcast. Uh, you can email us or leave us voicemails at Strange Highways Podcast at gmail.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Stitcher, Podbean, Satchel, Google Play. Uh, newly, we are on Spotify. So, uh, definitely if you haven't already subscribed to us on there and it would really help us out if you would rate and review us. Yeah. All right. So also, um, you, uh, can go to our Patreon, which is patreon.com slash strange highways. Uh, we've talked about this repeatedly because we are covering the current revival of the twilight zone, the Jordan Peele produced, uh, twilight zone. We're about to cover, um, episode seven, not all men after this. So if you guys aren't listening to our, like to those episodes and subscribe to the Patreon, uh, do it. It's a lot of fun. And we're going to have a really interesting conversation about that episode. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's yeah. going to be, uh, it's going to be an interesting. Yeah. One. Yeah. It's going to, there, there is, there's a lot to chew on with that episode. And I cannot wait to talk about it. So you can join our Patreon for as low as $1. You can join our, where's everybody where you have access to, to everything that we're doing, including the new uh, twilight zone. Uh, and then our $5 tier, which is five characters to search of an exit. Uh, you get access to everything previously, and also you could pick an anthology episode of any TV series outside of the Twilight Zone, and we will cover it for the show, and it'll be amazing. Uh, and at $10, you can join the 16mm Shrine, which includes everything we previously mentioned, and you can pick an anthology film to cover, and you can come on the show, and we will uh, talk about it. It'll be a lot of fun, and we'll also send you a framed photo of the most important racehorse uh, to most Britons, uh, Hyperion. Yes, be, which know. I promised to our uh, <laughs> our two uh, 16 millimeter shrine holders that yeah, your picture is coming they're, they're getting, and your episodes will be coming sooner than later here. Because yeah. once we get through season three, I definitely want to uh, hit some of their picks because they they have picked some interesting stuff. It'll be fun. So, yeah. So uh, next episode is going to be our season three review and wrap up. And we'll talk about our top five and bottom five. Or for me, it might be top five and then uh, bottom uh, 32, whatever uh, it might be. I don't know. <laughs> this, this is going to be a weird season to talk about in hindsight. Uh, you know, yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to yeah, it. I, I always love these season wrap ups. Yeah. So, all right, that's going to do it for us this week. Next week, season three wrap up. Uh, have a have a great week. Um, and um, just just realize that whatever job you're doing, you do have an impact. And uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah. Like just you, you're, just, you're you're a good person. Do good things. Yeah. Just remember to read your mail, guys. your final examination papers are not yet ready to be returned to you, you have all, amazingly enough, passed. Oh, boy. My, yes. My delight is only exceeded by my sense of shock. It is rare, young men, that in 51 years of teaching, I have ever encountered such a class of dunderheads. <laughs>